Live from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. Thursday morning from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm your host, Gary Holt. And uh, joining me in Albuquerque, New Mexico, is our co-host, Miss Bobby Bell. And to kick things off today, that was Prairie Home Lullaby by the Cherokee Maidens. Good morning, Miss Bobby. Good morning, Gary. I've got my coffee. What you drinking this morning? I am, I, as always, <laughs> I'm on my second pot of coffee, so... <laughs> kind of keeps me going on Thursdays to get plenty of caffeine in my system. But, uh, (laughs) Hey, I want to wish, I want to wish a a very happy birthday to a good friend of ours. She's been on the show a couple of times and that's Miss Jean Prescott. She's celebrating her 39th birthday again. So happy birthday, Jean. (laughs) Happy birthday, Jean. Oh, gosh. Well, we have, we've got some great guests joining us on the show today. This is going to be an extremely interesting show. And who's joining us for the Campfire Cafe? My good friend, Katie Moffat, is on the line and eager to join us. I'm so excited to finally have Katie on the show. (laughs) 
Well, I'm looking forward to visiting with Katie. I've been looking forward to this for a couple of months. Her music is just absolutely fantastic. And we look forward to visiting with her and sharing some of her great music. And then in the second hour of the show, we have Kathy Burns, who is going to join us for Saddle Up America. And uh, this is this is going to be a great visit with Kathy. She was in an abusive situation in her marriage, and she decided to make a change. And so we're going to be talking with her about that journey and how horses helped to make her heal. But right now, let's take a listen to one of the great songs that Miss Katie Moffat has done, and it is from the CD Up Close and Personal. It's one called Crazy, Dangerous, and Blue. And we'll be right back to talk with Katie Moffat today on the Campfire Cafe. Legacy Radio Network. We just heard Crazy, Dangerous, and Blue by today's guest, Katie Moffat. Katie Moffat 
is an internationally acclaimed singer-songwriter from Fort Worth, Texas, now living in California. With 19 albums, appearances in four major motion pictures, and consistent live touring, her career has spanned more than 40 years, garnering numerous rave reviews, nominations, and awards. The most memorable American Roots music, be it Western, country, folk, rock, or the blues, is always informed by a simple fact of life. You live and you learn. Just ask Katie Moffitt. Or better yet, listen to her sing, be it a song from her own prolific pen or a choice cut from a favorite songwriter. It's clear that Katie sings and writes with the voice of hard-won authority. As the Brooklyn Academy of Music observes, she doesn't just hit the notes and get the words right. Moffat evokes the emotions behind the tunes and meaning between the lines. And I like what Rolling Stone had to say. Katie Moffat has a big, powerful voice over which she exerts remarkable control. Hers is a voice with a natural country twang, but when the line calls for it, she can sing just as smooth as you please. And when she reaches up for a high note, she grabs it and holds on. Please welcome to Campfire Cafe, this uniquely talented singer, songwriter, performer, and entertainer who travels the stages of the world, but calls my old hometown, Newhall, California, home, Katie Moffitt. Welcome, Katie. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm happy to be on the show with y'all. Well, good to have you with us. Been looking forward to visiting with you for months now, so glad oh, today's man. the day. Yes, me too. Yeah, yeah. Well, we always like to find out a little bit about the background of our guests when they're on the show for the first time, and I hope this is the first time, not the last, that we have you with us. But um, Bobby mentioned that you grew up in Fort Worth. Yep. Tell us a little true. bit about... Tell us a little bit about uh, growing up and how you got started into the music business. Well, um, I, you know, I was a kid in Fort Worth, and, and there wasn't any music business per se going on there. Uh, but I, I, but there was radio, and uh, and there was always music in the house too. Um, and my our, my brother and I are the only two siblings involved in this family and uh, and we both uh, we both remember vividly um, listening to the music that my father would put on when he got home and it was it was kind of, it, <laughs> in a way it was always the same uh, but in another way it was such a broad uh, such a broad selection that that it it i it probably informed our eclecticism from the beginning it went from he would either slam on some wagner he'd get a you know a cocktail sit down and listen <laughs> <and laughs> to wagner or it would be gilbert and sullivan or, oh, or wow. sometimes Clark jones What's, yes it's true <laughs> It's true, and that so that's when we were rugrats, you know. But but then a little bit later, um, I just I just got so deeply into top forty radio, 
and that's that's when it began to really affect me and make me want to get involved. Well, you and I are of the same generation, and huh? um, you know we you listen. Know what I'm to talking the, about. I do know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. and and uh, we listen to the same type of music and probably the same kind of variety of music as well. But yeah. um, when, hey, did, when you, did you grow up? Uh, you up well, I grew up just outside of Nashville in a little town of about 3,000 people. And, uh, and and the only thing that we had was the radio to listen to. Right. And then by the, yeah. by the time that I was 16, I was actually on the air playing that music. And so that was kind of... <laughs> That's kind great. Of a, yeah. Yeah. But, but when did the bug to perform hit you? Well, I... Th- I think I think that can probably be traced to uh to the first time I heard the Beatles really because uh, that that was such a I don't know it was a jolt it was something I'd never heard before uh, it was it just seemed to me um like it was uh, it was so impactful that it that it seemed from a different planet and and it had these elements that that had always moved me in music that of um sophisticated harmony and um and then of course the you know I'm a kid so it's so it's it's got the the beat it's got this right. rough edge to it um and, and some of the music is actually in of course informed by um uh, by American pop music, um, but that was it. I'd say when when the Beatles hit America and hit my radio stations, that's when I had to get a guitar and 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 get involved. What was it oh, for wow. you? What was it that turning? Well, point? you know, probably a little bit earlier than the Beatles. Um, you know, some some of the old pop rock, some of the blues. Uh, uh-huh. Some of the black music that was being played at the time and was just getting started, but of course the Beatles made a huge impact uh, on everybody. I think at that period of time, yeah, and, uh, yeah. and still, and, and they still, and they still do. It's pretty yeah. cool. I was, <laughs> I was, I was channel surfing a couple of nights ago, uh-huh. and uh, and uh, Paul McCartney was did an hour special with James Corden. On CBS, right. and yes. did did you see that? that? Yes. Yeah, and it was so cool. So cool. It was so much fun. Yeah, so much fun to go back. And, yeah. And uh, and and he traveled back to his hometown and, and places yeah. that were important in his life. But uh, yeah, music has always played an important part in my life, and it sounds like it has in yours as well. Oh, absolutely. What what was some of the the uh, the black music that was coming into the radio for you at that time, because for me it was it was like it was coming out of of uh, Atlantic Records or Motown, but but there was so much more and there was so much history, so much more history to it. Yeah, well, it was a lot of the Motown music that was that was hitting the airwaves and and uh, you know the Temptations and and mm-hmm. some of those some of those groups and um, I got to tell you, Bobby, I've never told you this before, 
but the very first the very first concert that I ever attended was James Brown. And, oh my God! Uh, <laughs> he, I think he was playing at the old mun- the old municipal auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee, and I and I got wow. to go to the James Brown concert. That was pretty cool. Got that was that. pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all. But, yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Then I then I remember going down to Atlanta and catching little Anthony in the in the Imperials, probably yeah. about seventy four, seventy five. So I've always loved that kind of music. I've had I've, kind of like you. I've had a I've had a broad expanse of music that's created my interest. But I love Katie Moffat music. Oh. And I, I want to get I, I want to get to another great song that you did right now, and it's from the album Where the Heart Is, and it's the title cut from that. So let's listen to that and come back and talk more with Katie when we return on the Campfire Cafe. Oh 
great song by Katie Moffitt, Where the Heart Is, from the album of the same name. And um, so, Katie, you found out my first concert. What was your first concert to attend? It's a little hard to pinpoint, but it was either um, The Doors, which was in, as I recall, a community center um, in in a you know one of those suburbs it might have been Arlington kind of yeah. between Dallas and Fort Worth or um there was a I I went to the Longhorn Jazz Festival and 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 saw Jimi Hendrix too. Oh wow um, so um it was one or the other of those <laughs> Pretty good uh, first two. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. pretty good. That was pretty good. I didn't realize didn't realize until this week that Jimi Hendrix spent quite a bit of time in Nashville when he was first getting started. Are you kidding? Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, he did. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I saw some old pictures of him in Nashville and and didn't look anything at all like the Jimi Hendrix that we think of. But, yeah, like uh, the stage guy. Yeah, well, what, was he, yeah. what do you think he was doing there? Like, what what was uh, what was his path that took him through Nashville? I wonder. Well, uh, he was playing music, and uh, and and there's a section over in North Nashville that uh, that really really had a lot of great black music that was being played at the time. So, and, uh, and lots yeah. of live clubs, right? Lots of live. Oh music yeah. Clubs. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that so is it, so cool. It was pretty cool. And of course, mm-hmm. we just finished the 50th uh, anniversary of Woodstock, so there's right. been a lot of big, lot big of, one, yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff going on. But um, yeah, so do you remember your first paying gig? Um, <laughs> uh, I could, I think so. I think what it was. See, I was just a kid, of course. Um, I was right. 14 when I got a guitar. And I started getting on stages when I was 16. And, wow. And w- what I remember, and and this is in Fort Worth, which was a, you know, you were underage until you were 21. So there weren't many places that I could play. But what I remember um, being hired to do, <laughs> this is really, really crazy, but I was hired <laughs> to play a Neiman Marcus fashion show and, <laughs> and and it had this is so crazy to me when i think about it now cuz it, it it had a political protest music theme and i put that in quotations which tells me <laughs> which tells me that it, it, how crazy things were at that time that it would be oh it yeah would be, the protest music thing would be um, something to be presented uh, by a high-end part of the the culture. You know, it was yeah. like, that's nuts. That's nuts. Yeah. But there I was because I and and it was me because um, I mean I, I fit the bill because I was doing a lot of Phil Oaks songs. You know, which were like they kind of defined for me protest music at that time, right. um, from primarily from his his first record called "I Ain't a March" or the one first one for me, which was "I Ain't a Marching Anymore." So that, I think that wow. was my first gig. <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> so, so, 
Bobby Jean has brought up uh, the fact that you were in the the first Billy Jack movie. So how old yeah. were you then? How old were you then? Uh, let's see. Well, I wasn't. I sure wasn't twenty. Um, or was I? Let's. I. You know, I may have turned twenty-one. I don't think so, though. No, I was. I, I was. I, I went to two different schools. I, I started out in Tulane, in New Orleans, but that uh-huh. wasn't right for me. So, so I I waited out. I left and waited out the rest of the school year, and then then started again in Santa Fe at St. John's College, and I loved it there. But that's where I got involved with Billy Jack, and the timing and how old I was at the at the moment um, is. It's a little skewed for me uh, and difficult to pinpoint because because of that changing schools thing. So I was, I don't know, I was probably uh, 19 maybe when when Tom Laughlin came to Santa Fe to, to shoot scenes there. Um, he used a, a, a school there for, uh, as the, the uh, location for the, his freedom school. I don't know how well you remember the story in Billy Jack, but but this was all a big part of it. And, and uh, also he brought the committee, this is how I remember it anyway, from San Francisco to do that really cool uh, comedy skit scene that they did on the streets of Santa Fe. I think that wow. was done in the... In the square. I'm gonna to have to go watch that movie again. <laughs> oh, please, no, no, don't, don't blame me. But uh, yeah, but, but that's I remember when thinking I got it was great. With yeah. It was, well, you, you know, really something. That's a fact. Yeah, yeah. Well, you didn't know at the time that you were doing the movie that it would become a cult classic, and I think I everybody, uh, particularly with a certain age, has seen Billy Jack, and uh, yeah. You know, the first movie was good. The ones that followed after that, you know, you kind of have them or not. But, that's, uh, yeah, that's what I hear. I haven't seen them, but yeah. Well, well, thanks, yeah. thanks to get, thanks to get TV, they rebroadcast those things every so often. So I'll right. have to, I'll have to be sure and watch it again now that I'm aware that you were in the movie. So you were playing <laughs> a, a performer, weren't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was. And they they gave me a name and everything. They called me Maria. I don't know why, but uh-huh. um, I was most. I didn't really get along with Tom Laughlin. Um, it, I I didn't I didn't feel like I fit fit into that film culture as I was experiencing it. So I I was largely cut out. Uh, they had given me some lines at some point, and, and uh, so I'm I'm not in there very much. So keep your eyes open. If that's I'll, keep my eyes open. <laughs> I'll keep my uh, eyes open. Well, so but this you know, is one this thing is... about that, that. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't mean to no, talk over you. Go ahead. But one thing that's interesting about that film is it, it's kind of I didn't realize it at the time, and it took me a while um, until. Some some folks started pointing out that 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 really was the first uh, truly independent film during an an era of all studio control, film control. Yeah. 
and so in that sense, it, it truly was a pioneer. Well, it was, and again, it's it's just become a cult classic. So, Bobby Jean, you'll have yeah. to go out and and kind of catch that movie again. So if it's been a while since you've seen yeah, it, but, I, I uh, remember I remember I remember seeing it, you know, in a movie theater at the time. But yes, yeah, I, I definitely have to go back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, way back. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, this next song is way different from Billy Jack and the protest songs that you did at Neiman Marcus. This is one called (laughs) Hallie Lonigan, and let's take a listen to that and come back and talk more with Katie. I'm having so much fun dissing with you. This is great. But it's Hallie Lonigan, and uh, we'll be back in just a moment. I married Walter Jones For better or for worse So says the Reverend Dr. Stone But the better times are all used up And the worst times took control Then drinking took my Walter May The Lord protect his soul Alone with two young kids To raise out on the western plains my children harmonized with wolves and sang just like the rain. But howling hay and water were the desperate daily facts. And the years have carved their memories in the muscles of my back. Yeah. Hallie Lonergan will tell these truths to you. Hard times, the only times I ever knew. Hard luck's the only horse I ever drew. Hard work's the only way I made it through. So I married for convenience sake, a trader from in town. A blacksmith named Charlie Hawk who'd court me on his round. But he'd fall me like a wolverine and they was cheating in his blood. Then he fell upon my butcher knife and crawled off through the mud. Well, no one was the wiser when old Charlie disappeared. Me and them poor children never shed one single tear. We can run this place on our own. We don't need no drunks or cheats. And the men all step aside now when I walk down Market Street. Yeah. Hard luck's the only horse I ever drew. Hard work's the only way I made it through. This land was conquered by brave men 
your history books will say. Proud men upon fast horses drove the Indian away. My name is Sally Lonnegan, and I'll have you all to know that the secret of your history's in a working woman's soul. Yeah. The only horse I ever drew. Hard work's the only way I made it through. Yeah, hard luck's the only horse I ever drew. Hard work's the only way I made it by Katie Moffat from her CD, Cowboy Girl. And Katie, this mm-hmm. CD, Cowboy Girl, is how you and I met. Do you remember? <laughs> I do. Um, I do remember this. But tell me something. Cause there's, there's part of this that I don't remember that that <laughs> perhaps you do. <laughs> but I remember being, uh, I, when we first met, you were at the Autry, the Gene Autry yes. Museum. You were you were um, running the gift shop and doing all concessions, which meant that um, you and I communicated about um, the placement of my CDs during the time that I was doing a show there. But I I can't quite recall what the I think the show had something to do with women of the West. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Oh, good. And. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Jeff Barber, um, who's yeah. now on the staff, you know, arts and events staff in, there in Santa Clarita, at the right. time he was one of the programs managers, and he had put together, along with the education division, I think, this um, uh, concept of women in uh, Western music, and right. it was a one-day or two-day event, one day for sure, and mm-hmm. um, and we needed your CDs, you were going to be performing, and you delivered them to my house. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember and I was that. Like, and that. Oh, 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 yes, yes, I have your name, yes, and you gave me a box of CDs, and you know, right. um, and we've been we've been friends ever since. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I so had, let I me had ask, just moved there. Oh, you had? Yeah, I had just moved there. Yeah, I I hadn't been there long at all, so. So I was just I was just astounded at all the different areas, all the different neighborhoods uh, in this little valley where where you and I lived at the same time. Right. So it was a trip dropping the CDs off in this neighborhood I never I didn't know existed. It was really cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I re- I remember it was early evening. You came to the door. I mean, I you know I really remember it, and I don't know at the time. That you and I would have many, in, you know, many interactions right. over the years. It's just oh, right. here's Katie's, you know, this, this performer, Katie Moffat, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <CDs. laughs> yeah. So, um, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that because your path then um, changed somewhat, and and mm-hmm. you were no longer at the Autry, and you you began. Mm-hmm. Um, 
doing all of these incredibly wonderful things here in this community. Um, it, with, uh, it, it just was, it was really, really great. Uh, Bobby Jean was, I don't know if, if you know this, Gary, but Bobby was, Bobby and, and her husband Jim were promoting shows here. Yeah. They started out west and, and also um, they were haberdashers and, and, and vendors of fabulous western clothing and just really activists in this small community and and it was wonderful yeah. so, I know she's been, I know she's been yeah she's been missed since she's been gone but Albuquerque's oh boy. fortunate yeah. to have her yeah uh, exactly yeah, yeah. that's so, all true Katie you You've uh, you put out quite a number. Your discography is, um, you know, you have like 19 CDs or or so. And um, Cowboy Girl is is mostly kind of a historical western sort of bent to it. Um, mm-hmm. But your new one, which we we played the title track of a few moments ago, um, you also have some very powerful. Uh, um, Western songs on that track. You did a fabulous one of about Wyatt and uh, Josie, and you right. have this Thank remarkable you. ability to bring the woman's viewpoint to your music. Um, tell Thank me you. a little bit about yeah about um, and you were involved with the mother. Um, oh my gosh, mother jo- mother Jones. Wait, is that right? Um, oh the yeah, coal mine, the woman. That, uh, You've just been yeah. involved in so many interesting things. What is it when you're researching uh, something? What is it that compels you? Like, okay, I have to write Josie and Wyatt's story, and it's got to be through Josie's eyes. Well, of course, it's a, everything uh, is is a surprise to me. I don't know why, but it seems like I I uh, especially if I'm I'm approaching a subject um, of interest to me, uh, and I'm it, with the idea of writing a song about it. That's this is exactly what happened with that song. I was I I was interested in Wyatt Earp, and um, and I wanted, of course, to to actually uh, write a song. I had to. I had to do a lot of research and, and find uh, find the perspective, you know, find uh, the the hook, if you will, and and every every piece of information that I came across, there would be a mention of uh, Sarah Josephine Marcus, this woman who came into his life in uh, Tombstone. And and they got together, and then the event of, at the OK Corral was what eventually that caused them to have to flee, and they f- fled together. And so, event. So what? What all of this research led me to was a book that was an autobiography written by Sarah Josephine Marcus. Um, called I Married Wyatt Earp. And mm-hmm. <laughs> that's where all of the key information began to fall into place about Wyatt. Because the remarkable 
thing about it to me and the hook for me was that this man who is who is known historically as a a, a great figure of the American Wild West um, and a somewhat and and is forever linked to a very violent episode in a specific place in the the American West. He there was so much more to his life and it mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. had to do with with his marriage to Josephine who mm-hmm. uh who was a Jewess from San Francisco and eventually um what closed the circle forming after the song was finished is I I went up to Colma, California where they are it both is. buried and I mm-hmm. found the uh, the Jewish section of this particular cemetery, and there was Wyatt's grave, his headstone right next to to Josie's, and it wow. was just it was so cool. <laughs> um, but but that's you know that's the that's just where the the real hook was and where the real story was. Here's this this man is known for one thing but he did so many other things and and he lived a very long life um yes, he did so uh, he should have possibly been killed back there in tombstone um when he was not so so old and yet mm-hmm. not and it, and mm-hmm. i in my eyes it had to do with his relationship with Josie with Josie yeah they were together mm-hmm. 50 at least 50 or 51 years yeah, remarkable. Um, Gary, yeah. did you were you going to um, Gary were you going to play um, uh, "Love Me Like love, a Man" next? Love you me like Katie? a man. All right, Katie, like tell us, tell us, tell us just a little something about this, and he's going to spit it. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, this is a Chris Smithers song. It was um, it was made popular, I'd have to say, by uh, by Bonnie Raitt. Um, but I used to do this with my old old folk duo partner Mary Flower who's now a, a blues finger picker uh, extraordinaire doing very very well and she, <laughs> and and it's just a song that that I never I just couldn't let go of I I just carried it with me throughout all of these years so I'm so happy that you like it it's a great song totally different <laughs> love me like a man Love 
Love Me Like a Man from the CD Up Close and Purple. Thank you. <laughs> I, I can't believe all of that sound is coming out of such a little girl. That's that's pretty cool. That is pretty I've, cool. I've heard that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, you've written with quite a few people over the years. Uh, I think this next song that we're going to do is one that you may have written with Tom Russell, Walking on the Moon. Yes, that's right. I, I actually, I, I don't, I haven't written with a lot of people, but I've written a lot with a couple of people, and one of them is Tom. Um, and he's he's kind of a a uh, he's kind of a perfect writing partner for me, and and uh, and I was for him, and 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 all of that, um, all of that led to. Gosh, I think we we probably approached fifty songs, and wow. and uh, I'd say thirty thirty five of them ended up actually being recorded and or performed, and and uh, sometimes recorded by other people too. This is one of them. Well, this is pretty cool. Them. Pretty cool. Actually, I actually listened to the song uh, that you did with Tom on this and um I like your solo version of it better. Don't tell Tom Russell I said that. But, uh, <laughs> Don't tell Tom <laughs> uh, gosh. This is a great, great song. It's called Walking on the Moon and we're talking today with Katie Moffitt on the Campfire Cafe.
Walking on the Moon, Katie Moffat. Thank you. And you can hear this version that we just heard is actually from her live CD, Up Close and Personal. And then it's also on the the one I just posted on Facebook, the title track. Um, Katie, so people now, if they didn't know you before, are going to want all your music. So where should they go? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, really, the best place to go is um, is my website, which is katiemoffitt.com. And... Um, I think we have, we may have every record that I've made. Um, on it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm sure that uh, that that resource has more of my records than I actually do. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's a very good place to do that. That's probably the best place, and that's the only place you'll find some of these records. Like where the heart is, for example. Although I'm, I am now uh, talking with a new record label about distributing it in a, a uh, wider way. So we'll see. Well, um, do you have any plans for uh, anything, any new recording in the near future? Uh, n- not right now. I'm, I'm still. Um, I'm. I think I have almost um, enough enough new songs for uh, maybe one more record. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, but I'm, but it's uh, it's something that I am aware of. Uh, of you know, I'm I'm it's kind of in the back of my mind. So I'm I'm yeah. um, I'm kind of finishing up some songs that have have been long you know long in finishing for some reason some are so fast and some some are so slow um so I'm doing that and and the odd the odd show here and there um, but that's that's basically what's going on here in Santa Clarita Katie, right now what tell me real quickly what guitar um your guitars just so important. What what uh, what make is your guitar? Can you tell us? Oh, thank you for asking. Uh, she this, she is so important to me. I, uh, it's a, a Martin D28, and it's a 1969 model, which was the last year of Brazilian rosewood, and I got it new in Houston. Now I bought it in uh, in 1970, um, but it had it kind of sat on the shelf for a year so that that accounts for it being actually a 69 and i i just love this guitar and i've tried so often to get it off the road um and i and i just cannot replace it so um so that's so i've dragged her all over the world and and i i don't i i don't think i could live without her so um Thank does you for she, asking. Does she have a name? Does she uh, have yes. a name? She does no not name. Have a name. Okay, she's just no, Katie's guitar. <laughs> definitely a she. That's all I know. Uh, gosh. Well, Katie Moffitt, you have been so much fun to visit with, and uh, and I'm so glad that I got to visit with you a little bit and, and learn Thank more you. about you. We are so looking forward to having you come back on the show again. And, Thank uh, you. 
Will you do that? I would love to. This is really All fun. Right. <laughs> lot, lot to talk about. Lot to talk about. We're going to close out this segment of the show with another song from the um, CD "Where the Heart Is," and it's one called "Love Made a Gypsy Out of Me." And uh, Katie Moffitt, come back and see us again. Thank you. I would love to. And thanks for having me. Thanks, Bobby, too. Bye, my friend.
made a gypsy out of me. Katie Moffitt has been our guest on the Campfire Cafe. Bobby, she was so much fun to talk with. Oh, there's nothing like spending time with Miss Katie Moffitt. <laughs> well, we look forward to having her come back and be with us again. But right now, it's time for Saddle Up America. And uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking with Kathy Burns on Saddle Up America on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. But right now, let's listen to a song from Mr. Bren Hill called Horseback Getaway. Get away. 
Kathy was in an abusive marriage and decided to make a change in her life. She began a journey of healing and self-discovery through her horses that would have her traveling alone and riding and camping in all the lower 48 states. Kathy is an artist, a horsewoman, a trail rider, and now an author. Welcome to the show, Kathy Burns. Hey, Kathy. Hey, Gary. You have such a knack for picking the right song. I'm like wiping tears from my cheeks right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's kind of what you did, wasn't it? Horseback getaway. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. So the last time you were on the show was five years ago. That was way too long. It was. I had just turned 60 the day before. I'll never forget it. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. But uh, And I think they had a birthday celebration for you somewhere in Nebraska, didn't they? Yes, they did. It was so nice. At Turkey Creek Ranch, yes. Really, yeah, really nice was, people. That was so cool. That was so cool. Yeah. Well, I want to delve into uh, a, a little bit about what was going on in your marriage and uh and we won't go deeply into that but uh, we do want to talk a little bit about that i know there are thousands of people that have made comments this past week on uh, social media about how much interest they have in this particular show and uh how much respect that they have for you that's that was pretty cool i've I've enjoyed reading it Well, those people are the reason that I wrote that book. Uh, I didn't want to expose my my back, dark past, but um, God told me to write this book for those women. that I met women along the trip like that, and uh, I know that if I had read a book like this when I was in that darkness, that um, I would have been very grateful for it. So I am putting myself out there now. Yeah, well, I think that's that's not only brave, but it's great that you're willing to do that for so many people. Uh, tell us a little bit about the abuse and, and, and how long you were in that marriage that way. I was married for 23 years before I finally uh, got out, and um, it started slowly. Uh, my therapist had told me it's like there's this analogy about if you put a frog in a pot of boiling water he'll jump right out if you put one in cold water and put it on the stove they'll just boil to death and that's sort of um what happened to me so by the time it got so bad and people were saying to me i can't believe you're putting up with this or um you know what's the matter with you just get out you're a strong independent woman i was like so confused and so so worn out that uh i just I just couldn't, and I just stayed way, way too long. Well, there are two different types of abuse. Um, one is mental, and one is physical. And of course, with the physical abuse comes the mental abuse. But uh, what type of abuse were you going through? This it was emotional abuse, and um, 
if you read the book, you'll, there's a scene in there where I, I wished that he would have just hit me because a bruise or a broken bone would have somehow uh, endorsed me leaving. Uh, it was, that was like the line that would have been crossed for me. Yeah. Uh, but what happens with them, emotional abuse, it's subtle, and I by the, the end, I, I thought I was crazy. Uh, that there was, you know, something really, really wrong with me. Um, and I could, couldn't think straight. It was like the neurology in my brain had been tampered with. Um, and it's, you don't, you know, bone heals in a couple months, a bruise goes away in a few weeks. But the uh, mental damage that happens, it's like it is, I mean, my therapist called it PTSD. It's, it takes a long time to rewire your brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you uh, you had this idea somehow or another that uh, that you would travel the lower forty eight states uh, with your horse and your dog and do it alone and and uh, and uh, experience that. So I know that uh, you were a very experienced camper and and tractor trailer driver and uh, no i was not <laughs> <laughs> i had no I idea had what i was doing are you kidding me oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh so how how did how did the idea come about that that you would do such a thing well i was uh I was in the very beginning stages of separation, which I knew was going to be probably the ugliest thing that I'd ever have to go through. Um, and I was reading my husband's first list of 30-some questions that were just so rambling and confusing and my brain wasn't working right, and I said out loud to my friend, uh, I, I want to just run away. I just want to go hop on my horse and go ride in all the states until I can find a place that I can live in, that I can afford to live in and find some peace. And um, I had then mentioned that dream to my therapist, and she endorsed it as being, she said, I think you should do it. I think it would be therapeutic. And I was concerned about, like, well, would that be, mean that I'm abandoning my children? And I was very, still very concerned about my children, who were all college-aged at that point. And she said that, no, um, there was nothing that I could do for my kids in the state that I was in and that I had to heal myself first. Mm-hmm. So uh, I looked at it as like a shortcut to ther- uh, therapy. <laughs> but um, things got worse before they got better. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, gosh. So, what were your first steps uh, as far as getting ready to to make this journey? Oh, it was uh, well. My dad was totally behind it. My dad was dying from cancer, and he called this the adventure of a life a lifetime. And he he had wanted me to get out of the marriage a long time ago, and he financed a truck and trailer for me, and I. Um, started trying to plan a, a route. Uh, I had no idea where I was going. Remember, my brain was really not working right. I mean, making a grocery list was difficult for me. But yeah. so to make a plan was just 
really be up. But, I mean, I studied weather charts and tried to think of everything that could go wrong. I did take some professional truck driving course uh, at in Pasadena after I had a disastrous test trip. Um, <laughs> So I got wanna, a little bit you better. Wanna, with you want to share that test trip because I, I, I actually I went back and listened to the show from five years ago, so that was uh, that was kind of cute. You that was up your trailer. Yeah, I, absolutely nothing up. went right. I picked up the trailer the day I was leaving because well complicated, but I, anyway on the way home to pick up the horses, I blew blew out a tire on a curb and had to wait for somebody to come help me uh, get me all new tires. And my dad, of course, paid for all new tires. My dad was an incredible support. Um, And my son offered to go with me on this test trip up to an EGALA clinic, which is a uh, psychotherapy horse uh, horse thing that I'm interested in, and up in Placerville. And, uh, you know, we arrive at the first campsite at, like, midnight, which, you know, was like really bad timing. There's no one there. When the sun comes up the next day, it's like 100 degrees. And then we take off to get to the Igala Clinic, and I I get stuck like a tenth of a mile from the ranch in a ditch at 3 a.m., and uh, the rancher's got to come out and try to turn me around on this single dirt dirt road, get me out of the ditch first. And then on the way back home... Um, I pulling out of a gas station. I got hung up. The back end of the trailer got hung up, and my son said, "Oh, it's just hung up. Gun it." And I, I so I did, and it ripped off the whole back end of the trailer. So it was nothing really went very well. Oh <laughs> uh, gosh, for a lot of people, that would have been a discouragement right there. But uh, <laughs> but for you, it wasn't. For you, it was No, usually when I commit to doing something, I, I follow through no matter what the hell happens to me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh. So you get the trailer repaired, and so then you began your journey. Yes, I left five years ago in September. And I said I was never coming back to California, but here I am. <laughs> there you but, are. Uh, yeah, here I am. So where were where were the, where was the first place that you headed for after you left California? Okay, my first campground was in Utah in Pine Valley, I think it was called uh, Pine Valley National Forest. It was uh, it took me two days to get there. I overnighted in Las Vegas, and uh, when I got to Pine Valley, uh, it dawned on me that it probably wasn't like the best place for a stop, but it, because it had no hookups water, electric, or anything, and I didn't even at that point understand how anything in the generator worked. Or I only had one corral, and I had two horses that did not get along with each other. Um, <laughs> so it was, but I had, it was, and I got terrified. To, oh, God, the first night out in the, with the, there was lots of wildlife howling, and I got really in a panicky state that first night that I wasn't going to be able to do this. Um, and then when the last night I was there, I got up to load up the horses. Dreamy, my, my main main ride at the time, was covered in cuts and blood. And uh, I don't know what had happened overnight either. My other horse had bullied her and pushed her around all night where she got cast. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, it was not, not a great first stop 
It was beautiful writing. It's a beautiful place. Really beautiful place. Oh uh, gosh. So so then you traveled from Utah to where? I went up to Idaho where I had a horse retired. My daughter's horse was retired at a, a retirement ranch up there called Chalice Creek Ranch and I'd gotten friendly with the owner, Jack Chalice, and he had offered to spend some time with me getting me better prepared for uh my journey because he uh along with my father thought there was a good possibility I might not physically survive the the whole thing. He got me a gun, <laughs> taught me <laughs> taught me how to use the trailer a little bit better, how all the different systems on it worked. Um so he was super super helpful. Mm-mm-mm. And and I believe if I remember correctly, uh at that time you were not even aware of the fact that there were campgrounds across the country. You were staying in in uh, national forests and state parks up until then. Weren't yeah, you? that was the only thing that I. I mean, I just didn't know what I was doing, you know. So, um, yeah, but that's so that you know, and most of them, I guess, are primitive, but um, not having hookups. But uh, when I got to uh, to an overnight in Kansas, uh, Jane Johnson, uh, who owned the overnight was leaving the next day for uh, 4J in, in Missouri, uh, and she was meeting up with a couple of friends, and she talked me into going there with her, and um, I was like, what's what's 4J? And she said, oh, it's a private campground on the, the, the edge of the National Forest. Or, and I was like, oh, my God, something like that even exists? I like, It hadn't even <laughs> dawned on me. <laughs> Yeah, so that was that was a really one that was a turning point in in my uh, camping campground choices. Uh, that, that is so cool. Well, the Laughlins that run 4J are pretty good folks, so that was a good place for your first experience, I think. To, yeah, to that be- was really fun. It was fun, and I'm and the women that I met there, the Jane's friends, uh, were really special, and uh, it was really a, a turning point for me. I w- uh, when everybody was packing up to go home, back to their normal lives, their jobs and their husbands, all the things that I didn't have anymore, and um, I got very depressed. And the three women approached me and asked if they could pray for me, and they did a prayer circle. And it uh, was the beginning of a, a, a long, wonderful walk with with my faith. Oh, that's great. That is great. <laughs> Well, you you traveled, uh, and, and I don't think you've made all 48 states, have you? No, I um, leaving the campground in Montana, which was State 43. I uh, I really I was in, I shouldn't have been there. My rig was too big, um, and I had had second thoughts about going there. Uh, but had, the ranger had assured me I wouldn't have a problem. But I, I couldn't get out and. I ended up going over a big boulder and uh, ripping off the wiring and the septic system underneath the trailer and oh, crunching the crunching that back end again. So um, and I, oh, and bent the axle. Yeah, and minor detail. Oh, so gosh. That, the trip trip ended there. <laughs> I hauled oh, the gosh. horses back to Jack's place in Idaho and um, dropped the trailer in. Uh, Idaho Falls to get repaired, and I drove back to California with my dog, my new dog. Your new dog. 
That's right, because while you were traveling, you lost the dog that you started started with. Yes, I had started with such a sweet dog, Tucker, and um, I knew he he had cancer, um, and I was in constant contact with my vet back here about how to deal with him, his his illness. Um, and she kept telling me, uh, you know, you're going to just know when it's time. And, and one day when I was in Arkansas, I, I just knew it was time. And um, I put him down in Arkansas and the campground owners at Lonesome D uh, got their backhoe out and buried him, put a boulder on top for me and cried with me. And um, yeah, so I left him there. But when I got to Florida, a few months later, I uh, felt the, the need for another dog, and I adopted a, a dog at, at a humane society there. I still have him. <laughs> wow, wow. Well, I, I, again, we've had a lot of comments on social media. Uh, one was this morning that I saw from uh, Jill Romanello in Elkins Creek, Um and she just she just ex- was talking about the fact that you were such an open and honest and sweet person to visit with, and they certainly uh, enjoyed your visit. Um, Jill was Jill was so wonderful for me. She told me when I first uh, first thing is she does massages there, which I was like in desperate need of a massage <laughs> by then. And I so I went to book my massage, and talking to her was like talking to an old friend. I mean, she was talk about open and warm. I mean, she was, but she said to me, you know, this place is magical, and you just after you're here for a while, you'll see what I'm talking about. And uh, she gave me some really good books to read, um, and it, it was it, it was a magical experience being in Elkins Creek. Well, it is so cool, and one of the one of the neat things about traveling like you did, and uh, you've met some you met some just really great folks while you were out there, um, that were so special and were so helpful. And uh, uh, any anybody or experience that really stands out in your mind? Oh, I met. So many wonderful women, especially they would, uh, <laughs> and and I can't just really single one out. I mean Jane, who Jane in Missouri, when she asked if they could pray for me, that, that was you know momentous. And uh, Jill at Elkins Creek, and uh, there was, was a couple in Kansas that was incredible. And I had so many people offer to pray for me, people that gave me books to read, gave me their personal devotionals. That um, and for someone that really didn't know God before this trip, that was in itself so healing for me. Um, and women would, if they couldn't help me, they'd lend me their husbands to fix my generator <laughs> or figure. I mean, it was yeah, it was just incredible. It was really wonderful to connect with with women that. Uh, horse women, I mean, the men are probably great too, but remember I'm coming from this horrible situation with a man, so I was pretty shy with guys. But right. uh, the women were so supportive, and and then they would share their stories with me of of, of what they'd been through. And it may, honestly made me feel like a crybaby because what, what so many women have bounced back from uh, – it's so inspiring to me. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, uh, unfortunately, 
um, the number of women that have been through some type of abusive situation is just unbelievable. And uh, I, I think that's one of the things that uh, has been so encouraging to folks is the fact that you were able to do this and uh, uh, actually and actually find healing on your journey. So I, I think that is that is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Are you um, are you going? Are you have any plans to go out and finish uh, the last five states at some point in time? Well, I don't have that trailer anymore, so I'd have to come up with something else. I've I've, I've toyed with the idea. I, I did go to Montana de Oro last week, uh, which is here in California, and I slept in the tack room of my three-horse trailer, and uh-huh. I, I did have a really good time. But I think I would need uh, something with a little bit more than just a, a foam piece on the in the gooseneck because my back was killing me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, gosh. Bobby, could you ever see yourself starting off on a journey like she has done? No, I well, not not with horses in a in a trailer in that situation. For me it just it'd be me in a car, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know they have this thing called glamping or I don't know that's what people call it. Yes. Yes, and so you can take your horses, and you can stay in a real bed in a room. <laughs> like that's in a right. Bed. Yeah, so I, I could like find places like that. Yeah, I could finish the five states. <laughs> yeah, I would yeah. imagine you know, this is, your, Kathy, your story is just uh, inspiring and astounding, and um, it's it just really unbelievable. You certainly went through all kinds of challenges, which you've shared with us, I wonder if, um, in a way, they were still a kind of a relief from what you'd been um, living through and that your mind was able to just concentrate on sort of those bare necessities of the day, you know, taking care of getting you where you need to go and getting the horses taken care of and fed and kind of, you know, just down to real basics. And was that somewhat kind of of a relief in a way, even though it was so challenging? <laughs> oh, no, it was definitely a relief because one of the – I felt so um, adrift after I actually moved out of the house that I, I a person that needs a purpose. I mean, I, I think probably most people need a purpose, uh, and that's a challenge I think lot to a lot of people that are retired – and to people that have just, you know, walked away from their family or, you know, it's you, – if you don't have a purpose, it's a very disorienting feeling. Um, and so, yes, just putting one foot in front of the other, you know, feed the horses, muck the stalls, make dinner, plan the next drive to the next place. And uh, those things <clears> – yeah, it was like – I was kind of on autopilot at times, Uh especially during the time when led up to when my mother died in the middle of the trip. But so, yes, having a purpose was very, very beneficial. And the well, other aspect of the trip, I think, is that, I, that it's been something that's come up with that in my mind lately is that I think when you're in terrific emotional pain, Somehow the physical pain sounds sick, but somehow physical pain distracts you from the emotional pain. 
and and definitely I was in physical pain like most of the time like between so um you know the just from the exertion of riding so much I, mean, I was riding it, two horses every day and and the setup of camp and the breakdown of camp and um you know it was physically took you know took its toll on me so i think that that in itself was kind of a distraction let my brain just like sit back and and heal Mm-hmm. If that makes right. Sense. It let your yeah yeah it it let your I I can understand that your focus mm-hmm. was elsewhere and your brain could begin sort of the healing process because like you said neurologically you had to kind of create new pathways in right. the brain you had to um, the the all, brain works that way right and it also ties into like the whole mindfulness uh, thing mm-hmm. of you know being in the now my, I was so much in the past like rehashing, mm-hmm. like, what happened? How did I let this get so bad? Why did, you know, all right. of those, you know, rehashing scenes in my mind. I mean, I was constantly flashbacking to uh, the bad stuff. So, like, when you're mm-hmm. in the present moment and you're thinking about, like, mucking this doll or, you know, something very, you <laughs> know, <laughs> right now, yeah. doing it right now, right. It, it does bring you out of that that trap. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know you're an artist as well, and it looked like I know we haven't really talked about the book per se yet, but um, were you, uh, I was on your Facebook page for the book last night, and I could see a lot of the images. Uh, were you also working on those while you were traveling, or was that something you've done once you got back home? The stuff that's on um, my blog and on my Facebook is is a combination of both. The stuff that was done on the trip were uh, small 10-inch square pieces of masonite that I'd cut up for the trip uh, that I did with acrylics. So I did one in in each state, and the the object was going to be a painting of my horses in a landscape of each different state. And so it would be kind of like a smorgasbord of the different landscapes uh, that I was experiencing. And then when I got back, settled down, I, uh, in the studio, did, I haven't finished them, most of them over in oils in a larger format. Oh, that's cool. great. So you, that's great. So you knew you, you knew you wanted to do that when you were prepping yourself since you, you cut, you yeah, had the all goals. prepared on one of your goals. So you really put a tremendous amount of um, preparation, uh, kind of pre-planning. I, I could see that's the sort of thing that I might get the idea about, you know, halfway through the trip. You know, like, oh, why haven't I been? Well, that would have been a good idea. You know? <laughs> yeah, and then when I, I, I did a little presentation at the Flint Ridge Riding Club before I left, uh, which is where I had uh, learned to ride. And uh, there's a lot of movie and TV people that uh, belong to that club. And one of them uh, said to me, make sure that you journal a lot. Um, And that was like really good piece of advice because I could never have put this book together without the pages and pages of journaling that I did. Uh, And up until then, I really wasn't a journaler. So, um, but that was really very helpful advice. Too. So I I'd, I'd also, you know, kept, I had this blog that I started, and I shared some of the stuff on the blog. I didn't share all my inner angst on that blog, but um, so that was that was one of the goals too. 
Yeah, I had a lot of goals. <laughs> but the main goal was to fix my head. <laughs> yeah, you had a lot of actions to uh, to take care of every day. If you make that discipline, you know, journaling is is a discipline. Um, was that hard to do since you hadn't been journaling? Was that a hard thing for you to find yourself doing? Well, well, the blog journaling was pretty easy because it was just like, I went here, I did this, this happened, you know, and yeah. uh, it took oh. a lot of pictures. But the personal journey, journaling, I mean, it's so easy to see how fragmented my mind was. I mean, I couldn't even decipher some of the stuff that I'd, uh, that I'd put down there. But um, it was really important for me to piece together what was going on in my mind because I didn't want the book to be written from a healed standpoint. I wanted it to be written in the current time. Um, mm-hmm. And and so if I didn't hadn't taken the time to do that, uh, it would have, you know, it would be lacking, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take a real quick break and listen to a song from Corinne Marie called The Ride. And uh, when we come back, let's talk about the book. You're listening to Saddle Up America on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network, and our special guest today is Miss Kathy Burns. Oh, la-dee-da, it'll be 
died while I was there. And at that point of the journey, my sister, who has mental illness, joined up with me for part of the trip. So my, I also went back, flew back to L.A. to see my kids during Christmas. Um, I actually saw my ex-husband at, uh, on that visit. And uh, so, yeah, so lots of stuff is going on. Mm-hmm. Hope. Yeah, what a what an emotional time for you. Did you did you find? I mean, some of these things, if we imagine them in our own lives, what was going on with your dad, and then later with your mom? Um, did you find that you were able to? You were more um, um, equipped, uh, capable of handling some of these sort of new challenges, uh, were you able to, felt like you were able to handle them a little maybe better than if these still life events had come up while you were still in your marriage? Oh, yeah, because I got to spend uh, so much time with my father before he died. I never would have been able to break away out of my family life to do that, to have had that intimate, long day in and day out time with my dad. And um, dealing with my mother, uh, my mother was a source of a lot of angst for me. Uh, And so when I was in Florida, I had gotten baptized. And so by the time I got to New Jersey and dealt with uh, sitting by her side as she died, I I had faith at that point. I had faith in Mm -hmm. God. There was a heaven. She was going to go to a better place. I wasn't able to really resolve all of the problems that I had with her, but I, I don't think I could have got through it without, you know, without God at that point. Mm-hmm. And then a mm-hmm. month after I got back to California, my father died, and he was my rock. He was he had been my rock yeah. my whole life, and I definitely could not have gotten through that without faith in God. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, I think that it, God planned this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think he I think he did. <laughs> and you were willing and open to receive it. Um when in the writing of the book, I'm just curious uh because I think there are probably a lot of our listeners that uh have similar situations that they may also want to begin to to um put on paper. It 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 can be so therapeutic. Do you have any suggestions on how to approach journaling and especially knowing that you may want to do um, a book from the journals, some, some things you could share on the process. Yeah, I think you need to, if you're, when you're, you know, when I did my journaling for that, I used for this book, um, you know, just really pour your heart out. Um, I can't remember what author I heard say this, but it's like uh, verbal vomiting. <laughs> you know, just, mm-hmm. you know it's, it doesn't have to have be punctuated or spelled right. Uh, it's just like get your feelings out on a piece of paper. No one's going to mm-hmm. look at it but you. Right. But then putting it back together in book form was something that I had no idea. I had to take remedial English when I went to art school. I That was not a skill I possessed. Uh, I had to hire a a private writing coach to walk me through it, teach me how to put a sentence together and how 
how to actually make the structure of a story so that the, you don't get bored and that uh, you keep the reader's interest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, um, do, do you did you have uh, besides the person that was helping you write the book? Did you find did you work with a an agent or a publicist or how did you how did you get published? What were some steps to getting published? Okay, so I, I finished this book about a year ago and I sat on it. I had a lot of fear in putting all of this out into the world. Um, yep. Nobody in my family was supportive of it at all, and um, I was really afraid. Uh, but my coach at some point last year said to me you cannot you cannot sit on this this is too important a story you have to get mm-hmm. this out there so i did the painstakingly horrible process of submitting to literary agents because that's what you do and she'd suggested that i do 15 at a time and at least do 15 a month and i think i got up to 20 and i said i can't take wow. this this is um mm-hmm. I couldn't take the, re- the rejection, and I couldn't take worse than that with no reply. <laughs> and it uh-huh. was so impersonal. I was in sales all my life, so like I, I'm, I, I can't put my personality in front of anybody to to get them interested in what I've done. So, and I'd had I've never written anything before. I'm not famous. I, I'd had like way too many strikes against me. For in the, in the literary world, so I decided to put it on Amazon, self-publish, uh, mm-hmm. and I did that in April, and I'm ad- advertising on Facebook in a, with a very tiny budget, and it's selling moderately well, like you know, five ten books a day, but um, again, my coach suggested I really need to hire a publicist, and that was a good chunk of change but she recommended somebody and uh we will be starting interviews and uh, seeking re- reviews from people that will get the word out to more people mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. read this book mm-hmm. so that's yeah it's it was quite a process. process isn't it yeah yeah well it's one of the wonderful things about independently pub- independent publishing these days is it it does allow and provide a platform for folks that have a really important um story to tell and are, can't find a you know conventional uh, way to do it so mm-hmm. um I congratulate you on that on that first step and i I think um it just seems like your journey continues to throw you some um some boulders, but you just move them or get around them, and uh, that makes it all the more compelling, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, but it's not me moving the boulders. You know that, right? <laughs> I yeah. do know that. I yeah. do know yeah. that. I do know that. Yeah. And so, but that's what that's a that's a, continues to be an important part of your story. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. important. Well, if it makes you feel better uh, for independent uh, writers like yourself, uh, you share the world with independent artists because they have the same things to go through to try to get their music out to the world. So it can happen. It does happen. Yeah, everything has changed in the last 60 years. <laughs> yes. It's just, I feel so bad for recording artists. Yeah, I mean, it's just, 
all the arts, really. It's, everything has changed so much for all artists. That's true. That is true. So how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Um, I'm living in, I think, just about one of the most beautiful places in the world. I've got land for my horses to run out on and be free on, and I can ride. I've got 50 miles of trails right out my back door. Um, I get lonely once in a while, honestly, but I've I've got a wonderful church. I've, I've met lots of great horse people here. I've got met lots of great people at church. Um, I'm building a, a whole new life. And it's, well, that is absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Well, you will continue to do well and and uh, prosper. I think they used that in some movie, didn't they? Do well and prosper. But um, you continue to do that. You continue to be an encouragement to people, uh, and that's a great thing to be able to help people in their journey. And uh, that's what we're all supposed to do. You know, once we get. Fixed and saved, we're supposed to reach out our hand out to other other people that need help. So, yeah. So, how can people get this book? Uh, the book is only available on Amazon, uh, and you can get it an, as an ebook for your Kindle, or you can get a paperback copy of it. All right. So, go to Amazon and and look for Kathy's book there, and. Uh, you know, if you haven't friended her on Facebook or followed the book page on Facebook, uh, and how is the how is the book page listed on Facebook? How's the book page list? Oh, it's uh, it's some weird. Uh, it says Kathy Burns Gallery and Book. I think is what I called it. <laughs> it's not very creative. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh. Well, you have been great to visit with and to catch up with after five years. And um, oh. yeah, I'm I'm it's just great so happy catching up with you. Thank you so much. You know, when you interviewed me, that was like such a a leap of faith for you. I was such a mess back then. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was so wonderful. <laughs> well, that was uh, that was an extremely tender time for you because uh, I'm not sure exactly how far you'd gone in your journey, but I, I know that you were in Nebraska at the time. And uh, and even had to borrow the campground owner's phone to call in for the show because there was no yeah. cell service up there. So. Yeah. So that anyway. Was state, state 19. That was state 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we want to continue to follow your journey and uh, and keep up with you and I and I do on Facebook and uh, again, if people are listening to the show. I would encourage you to share the show with folks and let them go back and listen to it as well because your message is one that needs to be heard by people and people need to get a copy of the book as well. So, Kathy, you have been so much fun. Thank you for being with us again today. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Bobby Jean. My pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) All right. So we're going to listen to a great song from Mr. Gary Allegretto. It's called Wherever I Roam. And our very special guest today has been Miss Kathy Burns on Saddle of America. We'll be right back. Alone in my saddle, adrift in the wind. 
loud riding fences as autumn moves in. But summer still lingers like words of a poem, warming my spirit wherever I roam. Time of wandering, chasing down dreams, winding through canyons forever it seems. I'm bound to keep moving, cause I know there'll be gold around the next bend, wherever I roam. Turn around, settle down. Like the wind, I keep blowing free. They don't know I'm bound to go. I guess it's just a gypsy in me. such an important story 
that um, mm-hmm. that Kathy Burns had to share with us today. So um, I know that it it is a story that many many people can relate to, and uh, uh, man, we wish her the best as she continues her journey. But we're all continuing a journey, aren't we? Yes, we we each um, yep we each have our road our 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 path to ride. Yes, we do, and we do we best do. if we stay in prayer on it. So he we stay we stay on the path. <laughs> Abs- you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, do you have any closing thoughts for us today? Um. Oh, a closing thought for us today. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Here is a great one. By Wendy Wasserstein, don't live down to expectations. Go out there and do something remarkable. Uh, well, that's right. That is right. So I had a, I had a post that I did last night on Facebook, and it says, for my friends over 50, remember, real beauty is timeless. It is a state of mind. And, uh, and I think that's so true. I think that is so true. So regardless, we all have a we have a beauty that's timeless and uh and everything is a state of mind, isn't it? It is. It so is. anything happening without West? I know you're celebrating ten years. We are and actually um I would encourage people to go to our website outwestshop.com. Of course, yes, please shop. But besides that, uh, there's a lot of great content on the website. Um, there's a on the toolbar. There's a section Out West Live, and then if there's a little drop-down menu, and every radio show that I'm involved with, you can listen to them right from there. So um, I post all the links to uh, Equestrian Legacy Radio, to the Out West Hour, and to the Writer's Block. Um, and there's also a link to the concert series that we were a part of that Katie mentioned, and you can follow that link, and there's like 70 concerts that you can watch, many of them with um, that feature people that we've had on the show, like the Hanson family that will be on next week. Katie, two shows, um, two performances that Katie did that you, you can find by following that link. Um, I also blog not as much as I should. I'm I'm I uh, I'm a little I'm a little haphazard, not disciplined, but I do I do blog on the blog page. Um, you can also follow us on the Outwest Shop Facebook page. That's where we post um, contests or special um, features, or I talk about a, a new fashion trend, and also Pinterest. Uh, we have a Pinterest board. If you follow Pinterest, just uh, put in out west and then the numbers 0188. That'll get you to our huge product board. But then I have individual boards as well that you can find on our Pinterest page. So there's lots of ways to kind of see what we're all about. You can always reach us at outwestshop at gmail.com. And I love to listen or receive emails from listeners. Feel free to always contact me directly at Bobby Jean Bell, Bobby with an I, Jean with a J, Bell at gmail.com. 
I'd, I'd love to know what you're looking for, what you're thinking about, what did you love about the radio show, um, who, would you, who would you love to see be a guest. I, I'd really, I'd love, to, I'd love to know you. So feel free to um, go ahead and, and reach out that way as well. So, and then there's a special code. Um, if you listen to this show, the coupon code is RADIO. Real simple, just radio, and you'll receive $10 off a purchase of $75 or more. And then I'll know that you listen to the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network with that code. So cool, so cool. <laughs> listen, we appreciate you listening today, and remember that we'll be back on the air next Thursday with a Campfire Cafe at noon. You can find us always at equestrianlegacy.net. Thanks so much for listening.